Hello, friends. Uh, welcome back to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Midge Munster. And today we have a very special treat for all of you. Uh, we have a special guest on our podcast today. Now, I know you guys have heard us talk so much about queerness and horror, cult films, um, and we have a guest today who really embodies all of that. Um, I will get into the full bio so that you get a little bit of everything that she does. Uh, so Peaches Christ is a filmmaker, event producer, and cult leader living in San Francisco. Her infamous movie events are self-produced in San Francisco at the legendary Castro Theater before they tour. She also produces and hosts events in partnership with Polyarch Management for Symphony Orchestras, and her holiday show annually plays London's prestigious Royal Albert Hall. Peaches is a filmmaker, the alter ego of Joshua Grinnell, writer and director of the feature film All About Evil. The award-winning dark comedy gore film stars Natasha Lyonne, Thomas Decker, Cassandra Peterson, Ming Stoll, and Peaches herself. Joshua is the co-owner of the Into the Dark production company, which produces immersive theater, including the hugely popular Terror Vault show at the historic San Francisco Mint Building. Peaches has appeared in many films and television shows during her career, and uh, you may have heard of us talking about her amazing shows uh, at Midsummer Scream, which we will talk a little bit about later. Uh, but just to get going, um, I would love to know kind of what your intro horror story is. Have you always been a fan of the unusual and the horrifying? Where did it begin? Uh, well, yeah. Th and thanks for having me. I I'm glad yeah. to be here. I um, jumped right in there. I'm no, welcome yeah, yeah. to the show, Peaches. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I have been asked this enough without really having a proper answer because I have really not a great memory. Um, I've been asked enough that I've gone to the sources. So I've Ooh. asked my parents, you know, uh, yeah. and what they say is it's, basically like I was born this way because as long um, as they can remember, um, as far back as they can remember, I was always into macabre, spooky, weird, horror type stuff. Um, so I, I guess I just have to trust them. And, and I don't know, <laughs> maybe it was genetic. Um, I do have a nephew who's turning five uh, uh, this December that everyone thinks I'm grooming because he's so into the spookiest <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, I, actually the only video I've ever had go viral was a video of my wedding where my nephew was the ring bearer as Michael Myers. Um, oh and my everyone assumes that I uh, dressed him up as Michael Myers. No, no, no. Uh, he was allowed to choose whatever outfit he wanted. And of course my sister was like, please, please no because I knew what he would choose. So um, <laughs> I didn't even give him the option of Michael Myers. You know, that was all on him, you know, four and a half that. years old. So, um, you know, and he's never seen a Halloween movie. You know, he just knows that Michael Myers is the boogeyman. Um, you yeah. know, so he and I, I guess, have that in common. I've always, always liked this stuff. It's always fun when that pops up again somewhere like generation generationally in a family yes. and you kind of get your uh your secondary black sheep i guess <laughs> exactly yeah because <laughs> my brother and sister i mean they appreciate it because they grew up with me but you know it's sure. not really their thing and yeah and you know i don't have a lot of cousins i really was the only one until this this darling nephew has come along where he's clearly just into it you know 
if he's given the option of like what what to wear to school, it's basically like he dresses year round like it's Halloween, you know. He always chooses the sweatshirts with the skeletons and the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, he likes it, you know. And I wish I I had an influence on him, but I'm in San Francisco and he's in Maryland, you know, and he only sees me a few times a year. So he, it's like Santa Claus, though. I'm sure when you come around, it's like the best day of his life. Yeah, he's always wanting to FaceTime, like Uncle Joshua, are you at your haunted house? And you know, I'll give him, I'll oh give God, him the, the the FaceTime tours of you know uh, Terror Vault, and you know, yeah, oh he loves gosh. it. Has he seen Peaches in full drag as well? Or? Yes, yes, and yeah. it's funny he he if he sees any drag queen, he he's very able to identify that it's drag. He's not very good at identifying the difference so you know he sees trixie mattel and he says there's peaches you know or whoever (laughs) you know it's all peaches (laughs) yeah everyone's peaches yeah coincidentally that's how i feel about drag i'm just like everybody is peaches (laughs) right right peaches is the end all be all oh no (laughs) right there we go i love that so coming around to your your drag persona peaches christ um Correct us if we're wrong, but we're understanding that that came about kind of in your college years. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and how, where did your influences come into that persona in particular? How did you come to be Peaches? <laughs> well, I was, uh, so I grew up in Maryland and um, I grew up very, very Catholic. Uh, mm-hmm. Although my parents weren't assholes. I always feel like I have to kind of clarify that, you know, I, because I, I, now I look at, parents who raise their kids super catholic and i'm like you're an asshole you know like uh but they were they were um yeah anyway i i went to catholic school went to church all that stuff and and grew up in maryland and really felt completely alone in a lot of ways because i was queer and weird and dark and you know um spooky and uh definitely flamboyant and and drawn to theater at a at a very young age but um and i also really was inspired by and loved things that now i would see as being drag or drag adjacent before i was introduced to drag so um peewee herman and elvira were huge you know huge influences on me from a very very young age but when i really was old enough junior high was when i discovered john waters and the fact that john waters was making movies where I was growing up um, blew my mind. I mean, it just completely blew my mind. And Divine was like uh, a revelation. It was almost like, you know, I just totally changed religion. And, you know, I bailed on Catholicism and went towards the school or the church of John Waters. And um, because he was also had a lot of religious damage and also because of his Maryland upbringing, the, the discovery of of him and then of course drag through divine was extraordinary um coupled with my first trip to the marley station mall to see the rocky horror picture show so it was the one-two punch of divine and frankenfurter you know that kind of just blew my mind wide open so you know my my being peaches christ and my love of drag is synonymous with cult movies in many ways you know my identity with drag is through cult movies i of course know that that's a very limited scope of drag and drag is amazing and huge and wonderful in this big wide there's you know that's one of the issues i have with popular drag today is like it's so Mm -hmm. limiting 
it's almost like, God, you'd think that with all this popularity and all this, um, you know, uh, exposure, we'd have much more, um, uh, variety, but it's actually been the opposite. You know, it's sort of like the outsider Queens have, have kind of been really left on the outside. Um, and so what I love about, uh, divine and Frankenfurter is that they also fed into my love of films and cult movies. Penny is our, uh, our resident shadow caster from, ah. <laughs> so we, we, just, we talk- just, just, a, just a one-time engagement, but yeah, I was, uh, who did you play? I really, I played Riff Raff. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very nice. So we, we love to, it, yeah. Rocky Horror is a, a staple here on Ghoul's Night. Yes. We love to talk Rocky Definitely Horror. Definitely a formative experience. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I, think a lot, I think a lot of us uh, at a young age saw that and we're like, I think there's something different about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still, still out there, you know, changing lives. It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. really is. Yeah. Um, and that actually leads in pretty well to kind of my next question, which is, it's a very large question. So feel free to take it in any direction you want to go. Um, but just really the this intersection of queerness and horror, whether it is outsider queens, queer characters or queer coded characters in horror, or just kind of the queerness of a horror experience. We've talked um kind of on this show before about this idea of horror as a genre of survival, which I think relates so strongly to queer experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really love uh, to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I think that it's important for me to look back on my 80s childhood where my real obsession with Fangoria magazine and, and uh, uh, consuming all things horror really kicked in and, and understanding that there were um, other people like me who loved horror this way, that there were horror fans, that there were horror conventions. Uh, where it felt strange was I didn't see myself represented yeah. in the genre. And so it wasn't until years later that I I, I started to realize, oh my God, we are here. We've just been hiding in the shadows yeah. and there's not um, a minority of us. There's a lot of us, you know, and queer horror has been such an exciting thing for me to sort of uh, really talk about in the last, you know, basically ever since I made All About Evil. I feel like All About Evil, the horror movie I made, uh, unfortunately, uh was a little too ahead of its time. It was before yeah. people were talking yeah, about queer so. horror and the <laughs> horror world did not know what to make of it. You know, it was so interesting. You could always tell if a, if a writer was homophobic because of the way they would write about the movie. It was, they didn't know how to not be homophobic when they would write mm-hmm. about it or review it. And, um, and now I think, you know, something like All About Evil would be seen differently. It wouldn't have to kind of jump through all the hoops that we had to jump through back then. It was almost like you're you're not allowed to make this kind of movie because you're not one of us or something. Um, yeah. Like I wasn't allowed to celebrate Herschel Gordon Lewis. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm diverting. But the point is, it's changed so much and we're at such a different place. But I do like to go back and realized that the reason I was drawn to horror, and so many of us were, was because we saw ourselves represented in the films, in the stories, in a way that we weren't in other genres. And we were both identifying with, uh, as crazy as this sounds, the victim, who often was the hero, and the monster. 
who could mm-hmm. also be the victim. And so it was, the, and that's why I think Carrie is the is the, one of the most yes. important queer horror movies to look at because, you know, regardless of sexuality, you know, whether Carrie was, had, we don't really know and who cares, but she was queer. We know that she mm-hmm. was queer. She was treated as if she were queer. We identified with the bullying she received and we fantasized about the destruction she achieved. And so we could identify both with her being a victim and her being a monster. Um, And I think Carrie, and I also think A Nightmare on Elm Street in many ways, um, it it, it, it has that because Freddie, you know, people forget in that original, you know, uh, uh, thing, you know, he was a victim in some ways. He was a a terrible person. He was a monster, but uh, he was, sassy he was scary yep. he had fabulous <laughs> that's why i know. always say yeah. it's my favorite franchise because he's an old yeah. queen like yeah I he's, love he's, 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 he's a bit there's some yeah a there's something for the dramatic like yeah, the flair for the dramatic i mean when she says in, in you know that first movie which is so scary and so effective you know oh my god oh my god oh my god and he says this is god you know i mean that that's just like that's for queer people you know uh taking the power away from you know religion even was was important but more than that the feminist character of nancy being um the person who goes to the library and reads the books and figures out how to make the booby traps and you know it's not johnny depp who saves the day it's heather langenkamp i think as queer people we really identify with nancy she was the nerd she was the she wasn't the pretty blonde she wasn't johnny depp but she was the one who at the end of the day had to grow the thick skin and save her ass. And that's very much the queer experience. Absolutely. Oh, I, that whole, that, I'm just like nerding happy right now. That was, <laughs> <laughs> you touched on all my favorite things. Uh, a little bit of a change, but also still the same topic. Um, I just would really love to hear more about Terror Vault and kind of your passion for live events. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like you're definitely someone who really has put a lot of energy, obviously, into these live experiences and just kind of what what draws you to that as a form of creative expression? Sure. I, I for sure was drawn to storytelling, and that's where my love of theater and film come from, um, and also being flamboyant and loving horror yes. <laughs> and loving theater. And so growing up, like, I did haunted houses, you know, as a kid, I was obsessed with haunted houses. I grew up, uh, like I said, in Maryland, where uh, I spent summers at a place called Ocean City. And we um, had a a little home on the boardwalk. And at the end of the boardwalk, there was a Bill Tracy dark ride called the Haunted House that I grew up going through every summer. It's still there. It's still incredible. It's actually where my nephew became obsessed with Michael Myers because some guy dresses up as Michael. I mean, so smart of them, even though I, of course, the artistic part of me is like, Bill Tracy would never have had Michael Myers walking (laughs) around the Haunted House, you know, but, you know, it sells more tickets to have someone, you know. Um, but there was this other walkthrough haunted house that was huge on the pier down there called Morbid Manor. And I, as a kid, was such a freak that I would go down there. Also, it was the 80s, you know, so I'm very, very Gen X. So you could be like eight years old and basically just, you know, walk just anywhere in a city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so I would go, you know, I would, I would, you know, ride my bike down to the end of the boardwalk and um, sit and stare at Morbid Manor and just watch 
them activate the haunted house and watches these butt rock, you know, Metallica loving teenagers would wear ghoul makeup and dress in, you know, ghoul cloaks and scare everyone on the pier. And, you know, it was bliss. It was heaven. I was completely drawn to that and obsessed with it. I also was terrified by it. So on yeah. one hand, I was um, fascinated by it and in love with it, but also too scared to go in morbid manner, you know? Um, so it's, I, I love the storytelling. I also completely, I'm both um, a, uh, a creator of it and also a fan of it. So when I go to other haunted houses, I am screaming. I am terrified. When I go see a scary movie, I am definitely uh along for the ride um so yeah i've always loved this stuff um so for me theater haunted houses filmmaking all of it sometimes it all works in tandem with each other you know terror vault in this last year i did a lot of uh film um that was projected mm -hmm. as part of the uh the, the experience. Um, I see it all as kind of being the same thing. So whether it's, you know, a feature film like All About Evil or an immersive haunted attraction like Terror Vault or one of my parody shows at Midnight Mass, you know, on stage at the Castro Theater, for me, it all comes from the same place. So I see it as the same wheelhouse. But I think yeah. for other people, especially I have friends who are like, they're filmmakers, they make movies, that's what they know. That's the world. They're, I'm sure, much better at it than I am. They are prolific filmmakers. Um, I'm, I'm not. But they see me as being. Um, they don't get it. Like, whereas I look at them and go, "Wow, that's such an accomplishment! I can't believe you make a fucking movie every few years." Well, my thing is just like, uh, you know, I'll do a symphony show, I'll do a terror vault, I'll do a movie or whatever. So, um, it's 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 all the same stuff. I don't know how to explain it other than. For me, it's it, it's seemingly the same. Well, and that's something I really, I think that comes with a theatrician's background in a lot of ways is that we kind of learn to uh, be those jacks of all trades and right. find like if the art you're not, if the art you want to see is not being made, you find ways to make it in different venues. And that's something I really admire about your career is I feel like you've have this very solid sense of self that you've infused into all these many different projects mm -hmm. and it's it's so cool to to behold i know uh it, it's funny that you mentioned you were too scared to go into the the manor because penny and i are also like notoriously scaredy cats <laughs> um very windy and so like i've been stalking the the terror vault stuff from this year because the production looked so amazing and i was like i want to go so bad but i know i would probably pee my pants <laughs> you'd be fine you'd be fine they it's all the, it's all the light psychology. up bracelets like for kids <laughs> yeah oh no we actually have our light up thing is it, it makes it worse so if you wear the oh uh, is it like yeah, the touch pass yeah yeah, yeah. Thing? so if you you wear the uh the interactive red glow necklace you know it indicates that you you want more interaction <laughs> I, I do not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of live events, Penny and I, uh, as we mentioned at the top, have had the opportunity to see you perform both uh, in Le Night of the Living Drag and then Return of the Living Drag at Midsummer Screen the last couple of years. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you brought that cast of people together and what the future of that possibly looks like moving forward? Sure. Well, uh, Midsummer Scream is, you know, this fabulous convention that that really isn't like any other convention I've ever been to. And I, and, and I point that out because 
if you're like me and you've done horror conventions for 40 years, uh, you, you do start to feel like they're a lot alike. Um, yeah. And you kind of see the same things and you see meet the same people. And Lord knows I'm one of those people who could pop up for a while was popping up at those conventions. <laughs> and I am so grateful. I got to do some with Elvira for a time you know i mean nothing better talk about homophobia that was always amazing you know doing i remember being in indianapolis and peaches and elvira at a horror convention where people would just act as if i was invisible you know um but again this is before yeah. queer horror you know and, and kudos to cassandra for insisting i come along you know yeah. um but those conventions while i love them you know it, it, it's 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 um it's a lot of the same so when um Midsummer Scream came along, um, and I, I I know that I attended it after it had already happened, and I know that they were born from another convention. You know, like there's a history there. Yeah. Um, but what I love about Midsummer Scream is that it's Halloween focused, and because it's Halloween focused, and and it's not industry focused like some something like Trans World, um, it's uh it's just really unique. It's really special. It's for fans of Halloween and everything that comes along with Halloween. So a component of that um, are haunted attractions. Another component is just all the the wonderful um, things that, that people do to celebrate Halloween, whether it be in apparel or accessories. Um, it's got, you know, the, the, the big uh, folks down to the little folks. So you've got home haunters, but you also got Universal Studios there. I just love mm -hmm. it. I think it's so fabulous. Yeah. And um, Southern California is the epicenter for all things Halloween. And so it, it's got this fan base that can support it. I don't know that there's many places in the country where you could do something like Midsummer Scream and have the turnout that they have, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's just really special. And we showed up because um our friend norm at horror buzz is very involved in putting on midsummer scream and so norm uh, invited us when terror vault was just getting started just to kind of go down there and sort of make a splash at the horror buzz booth and then over the years um that that uh evolved to the point where um it you know landed us on stage at uh what it was the, the night of the living drag uh doing a drag show um and and then return of the living drag which is also a testament to the 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 shift you know in queer horror that we've seen so yeah it's been really um yeah incredible to be a part of that and um as far as i know uh we'll be back next summer uh with something i'm guessing it'll be return of the living drag again now now that we're in the return phase um but we did get news from midsummer scream which is incredible that we out of everything they do some sort of like exit poll i guess you know for ticket buyers mm -hmm. yeah um, we were rated the most beloved or highest rated event of the whole weekend hell yeah which is amazing like what yeah. are you kidding it was so i mean midge and i both like both years it was such a highlight and we were so so excited to see it move to the main stage for the the second year because it was just an incredible show and like you said it's so cool to see queer performers and drag put on the main stage at this kind of event yeah and it's a, a continuing testament to the the fact that our our community is queer yeah <laughs> yeah it, yeah for sure so i 
Penny knows I'm the I'm such a softy and like this year with it being on the main stage and when you know here we're in the the heat of everything that happened this summer with the everything about people being horrible about drag and making things problems that aren't problems and um using drag as a, a scapegoat and to see that room not only full in the seats but then people standing in the back people waiting in the hall to get in and it just, I was crying in the audience. I was like, you did is, cry. I saw I did. it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, great. I mean, the first, so it's funny, the first year that we did it two years ago, uh, they had us in a medium sized room and yeah. they knew going into it that it was going to be popular because I guess the way their, their, what their app or something is set up, people can indicate what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the Midsummer Scream folks were saying to me, maybe we should move it to the big room. And I actually said, you know, let's let's not, because if if it's as popular as we hope it will be, the best thing that could happen is you turn some people away. The worst thing is you move it to the big room prematurely and yeah. you know, you you've got drag queens because you know, that big room is huge. I mean, yeah. it's massive. Yeah. So, you know, ha- five hundred people in a in a room that fits twelve hundred doesn't feel nice, you know? Um, so, so it was, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. And the fact that we, I mean, we had standing room only this past year and the big room was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the Queens are also good. I mean, to answer your question about that, that's just the, the, the luxury of now having worked in the queer horror drag horror Mm -hmm. arena for so long that all these folks sweetly see me as some sort of um i don't know some something of of note i guess and so they uh show up and want to do a good job and you know they're really that that that's really an art for art's sake project you know i mean not to reveal too much but it you know the budget is is you know uh not so great you know so everyone on that stage is performing because they want to be there they want to show the horror fans their stuff and it's the audience you want and i think sometimes people forget like we do a lot of gigs where um we're underappreciated because you know um you know whatever it's some 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 gig hires you um for an audience where maybe you know a small percent actually care that you're there um but for some for for a queen who is into halloween and horror to perform on stage myself included at midsummer scream is a dream come true because every single person sitting in that room is into the same shit you are you know it's totally um exciting so yeah they're they're amazing an amazing group of performers and we try to mix it up so that it's a it's it's socal queens with norcal queens you know um, and of course, by Queens, I'm, I'm, I'm using that as an umbrella term. I also, yes. you know, brought one of my drag children down who's a drag king, Cosimo, this past year, you know. So, you know, dra- drag in the, in the widest scope, uh, in all its diversity, we try to present. Again, congratulations on the show. We love it. Uh, and if do you, I'll if if you have this still, we'll plug it. Do you still have the merch on your site? Available? No, it's sold out. It's sold yeah, out. The, okay, the Return of the Living Drag say. shirt. It's sold out that weekend, which was so amazing. <sighs> well, that's uh, Penny and I both got like four X's or something because that was the all only thing. <laughs> oh that's right, left. yeah. But that now was we all. we were just talking like two days ago that it's our favorite shirt we wear it around the house all day because it's just yes, like comfy so lumpy amazing <laughs> oh, perfect 
Awesome. Uh, so we've talked a little bit already about um, cult films, um, obviously, from, you know, live screenings to your podcast, that's something that you have a deep passion for. So I would just love to hear what you think makes a great cult film um, and why what makes us keep coming back to some of these movies. Uh, well, this is something we talk about a lot on my Midnight Mass podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I will say that people have different definitions uh, for what a cult film is and what it can be. And so mine is unique and um, I'm not the end all be all, that's for sure. So in my mind, the way I've kind of embraced uh, my own definition over the years is, is for it to include obviously something that a large group of people love and um and and love in a specific way not just are fond of in a pop <laughs> culture you know i i'm i'm a passing fan of it but more like love like i'm you know this this film has become something i worship you know yeah. and i worship at the altar of this film and i i know every word and i watch it repeatedly over and over again i think that's one thing now where i think the definition changes in order for it to be cult is if it's something along the lines of star wars or something that's got a huge massive mm -hmm. box office and and longtime loyal following and always has i'm less likely to call it cult um so things like star wars or harry potter or while while i get it there is a cult around it for sure because it's so popular, I'm less likely to embrace it as a cult film. Mm -hmm. So I think of these things as something a little more niche, a little more transgressive, typically a lot more queer, you know, and, and by that, I don't mean gay, uh, yeah. but I, I, I mean queer. Um, and so my definition tends to be, um, still pretty broad when it comes to cult movies because you've got people who are like nope if it didn't play at midnight if it's not you know um <laughs> yeah. eraser head or pink flamingos you know then it's not i'm not that for sure but um i definitely you know on our podcast we've covered things that people are surprised by we've covered anti-mame for example and the reason i feel like anti-mame in, in many ways gets more cult over the time is because now it's a film that's passed down generationally and it's mm -hmm. shared amongst a niche and you know it, it's it's worshipped by a very specific group of people um so yeah i think you know anti-mame qualifies but there are some people who would would say no the anti-mame is not a cult film so it really depends on what your definition is and then there's obviously the easy the easy you know the yeah. easy ones we all know are <laughs> cult films you know yeah, have... I was, I actually was just listening the other day um, to your episode about Cabaret, and I really oh, yeah. enjoyed kind of the conversation of the same sort of thing you said about anti-mame now, and that, you know, even if something was popular in the time, it can kind of develop this cult connection with an audience. And and with the both those, I think the obvious thing is I'm coming at it from a very specifically queer point of view, mm -hmm. that those yeah. movies hit a different way for queer audiences. And while they were great movies, it, Silence of the Lambs, I think is another one where I would call it <laughs> cult. And it, it, it had a popular, um, I mean, it, it swept the Academy Awards. It, it yeah. had a huge box office, but there's a specific way that it's kept 
alive in a specific kind of way that people love it that to me makes it cult. And again, this is just me going with my gut. I'm no expert. Well, maybe yeah. I am an expert. I don't know. But, I think you you're know. an expert. I would call you an expert. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, I, I feel like, you know, there's just certain things. Silence of the Lambs is not something that should have become a cult movie and yet it did whereas star wars or harry potter we knew that they, they knew that's why they spent a bazillion dollars right. on yeah, them they're, you know? they're popular ips yeah they know people are gonna yeah well, yeah and so penny is a silence of the lambs i'm a big girly. silence of the lambs yeah, she's got she's got the tattoo she's got the, what uh, tattoo she's got a, a um, her, just her uh moth. i've got a, a little of like a cute death head moth oh gosh wow you really are a big fan I am a big fan. Uh, but we had You're a whole fucked. episode where Penny brought the topic of Silence of the Lambs to the pod, and I had never seen the film. This was just <gasps> last year. No. Uh, so I got no. to watch it as an adult for the first time and as somebody who, you know, has only been comfortable in their queerness for, say, five to seven-ish years. So I got to see it through a queer person's lens as an adult. and. Yeah. I was texting her. I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Why is no one talking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I, w I would lean to agree with you that, uh, yes, sure. it's absolutely a cult film, um, especially to those who really are feral about it for, for a particular reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that, that to this day, you know, memes of Precious exist and, you know, people still get so excited. I mean, okay, I'm old enough that I specifically remember seeing it on opening night uh, oh, wow. at the Annapolis Mall um, and also remembering that it was the breakout of the Gulf War and we didn't know if the movie would take place because we this is now now you know being at war um, is so normal for our country but back then it had been some time you know my generation hadn't grown up with war you know previous to that was Vietnam so I didn't really grow up and but remembering that that the Gulf War had just started and and we were also kind of rattled by that. And a friend of mine saying, oh, we should go see this movie. I knew nothing about the movie other than Jodie Foster was in it. You know, that was that was who I know. I didn't even know who Anthony Hopkins was. Yeah. And I will never forget. First of all, the movie just blowing my mind, but I will <laughs> never forget the point where he puts those night vision goggles on at the end and me sitting in the theater thinking how embarrassing is it going to be if i can't watch like i i was so terrified i was so in that basement with them i was so there that i almost thought i i might not be able to continue watching the movie and that really i mean only a few times in my life have i felt that way yeah yeah, yeah. well even now i mean i'm I, again, used to be scared of everything, didn't watch horror for many, many years, and now uh, have been catching up on it as a teenager and adult. But like, watching that last year, I'm now kind of pretty desensitized to most things because horror horror has gone so far, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in present day. And the, the way that that constructs suspense and things is just something that I hadn't felt watching a movie in a long time. It's very, genius. Very good genius so yeah didn't mean to make this a silence of the lambs pod <laughs> the again like, lambs man. <laughs> so good <laughs> never a problem <laughs> well since we are on the topic of cult films uh, i want to take a moment to t 
talk about your your contribution to the cult canon. <laughs> uh, you've mentioned all about evil a couple of times here, and we talked a bit about it in the intro of the episode, but um, I would just love to let you speak about it for a little bit, um, because this started as a short film that you made called Grindhouse that mm-hmm. you, I believe, made to premiere at the San Francisco Underground Short Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, it developed into this feature-length film. You've got a, a star-studded cast. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process was for you coming from Grindhouse to feature length and just, um, you know, also with the film being re-released last year and brought to Shudder, how that's been? Uh, yeah, it's it's been amazing um, <laughs> as far as it's sort of continuing to creep and crawl its way across the world and find its fans. Uh, that's been lovely. Um but I was, I mean, I think because when I got into drag and because of the drag that I was interested in, there wasn't, it's hard to remember, especially if you're younger than I am, but drag was not popular. Like drag was not something that you did to have a successful career. It wasn't um, something that the gay community was fond of, especially at the era that I grew up in, you know, when when marriage equality was the thing that people were most um, interested in. So drag queens were um, very much uh, on the fringe. And so I think by the point where I, you know, in the 1995, 96, when I kind of become uh, really into being Peaches Christ and performing as Peaches Christ, I think, you know, my my dreams of being a feature filmmaker um, kind of had sailed because it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do this now, you know, and, yeah. and realizing that doors were sh- going to shut for me as a young person, but that my love of being a punk rock, you know, um, drag performer was, was too great. Um, so point is, I wasn't really setting out to make a, a feature film starring Natasha Leone. Like that wasn't, in, that didn't <laughs> yeah. seem like it was in the cards for me. Um, and I started making um, short films uh, like drag parody horror movies that were, um, you know, just silly and, and, and no budget, you know, I had no money. I didn't really, I wasn't able to afford stuff. Um, so it was just like silly short drag movies, um, parodies of things like Halloween. Um, and one of them, um, I, I, I forget why, but I, I decided that I wanted to see if I could make a movie that didn't have peaches at the head of it and play it at midnight mass. And would it, would it still be able to draw an audience? And I also started this film festival for, for, um, overlooked underground filmmakers. And that's why I made grindhouse. It was just sort of like an experiment for myself. And uh, I do appear in the movie, but as as, as um, a, a news reporter out of drag, and a lot of people at the time didn't know that that was Peaches because this is back then. Like people really didn't know what you looked like out of drag. There wasn't yeah. reality TV. We were really different people. So you know, I could walk around San Francisco, and you know, I could have an argument with someone wearing a Peaches Christ shirt, and they had no idea. You know, um, so anyway, I did that, and then. Midnight Mass had become popular enough that Mark Cuban reached out to me about doing a TV show. And so he produced this TV show called Midnight Mass that was a a televised version of my live event. They would film the live event and then it would, this TV show would run before um, uninterrupted screenings of HD versions of the cult movies I picked out. And because of Mark and his, uh, support of me, I um, ended up 
really deciding that I, um, I don't know that that's maybe someday I could make a feature film. It was really, I think, because Mark gave me that faith in myself. And I mean, I hate to sort of make it sound like I, um, uh, you know, needed a straight, rich, white guy to give me <laughs> self-confidence. But I will say that what did help, it definitely I helped. Say it doesn't yeah. hurt. <laughs> no, and, and, and it gave me the motivation to sit and write a script, you know, which took a few years. Um, so I wrote the script and then I asked Mark for the money and he didn't give me the money, but it was enough. It was enough of a, but he did distribute, he did help distribute the film. Okay. Um, but it was enough of a, a, a motivation that it got the script done and the script was good enough that it attracted talent. And, you know, because of Midnight Mass and doing the live events, I was already friends with people like Mink Stoll and Elvira. And um, I uh, basically, um, was able to, you know, put enough of a cast together that uh, I was, you know, able to get the movie financed by someone else. And and then <laughs> All About Evil was made. And then we went on tour with All About Evil and, you know, and um, and then it kind of disappeared for a while. And, and then it came back. Severin uh, released it on a very special Blu-ray last year. Um, and Shudder has it now. So it's been really lovely. It's definitely um, fun to see it kind of have that cult film trajectory <laughs> with that yeah. being kind of your your background now seeing. We actually heard about it from a friend of ours, um, funnily enough, because of my hair, because of my blonde streaks. Ah, my, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> our, our friend Matt of uh, Hallow Woods, he was like, you guys got to watch All About Evil. And uh well, thankfully, Shutter brought it to our to our doorsteps. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's Shutter, definitely going to continue to grow. So great because much like Midsummer Scream, All About Evil on um, Netflix would be great, but it being on Shutter is even better in some ways for me because it's it's the kind of movie that's not for everyone. <laughs> I know that I made yeah. it for a specific group of people, you know, and I didn't set out to make it cult because that's impossible. The fact that anyone considers it cult is wonderful to me. Um, but I, I made it because I made it just like I make everything else. I, I made it for myself in a way, you yeah. know, it's like, it's like Terra Vault. It's like what you described. I, I create stuff that, that I want, I would enjoy, you know, that I would be a fan of, which I realize is not the way you do a blockbuster, you know? And, uh, and so on Shudder, it, it, it's more likely to find, and it has found an audience that really gets it. So I'm glad that you were able to see it on Shudder. Yes. Yeah. Uh, promo to any of our listeners out here who haven't seen it yet. Uh, go watch it on Shudder. It's really fun. Or I, get the Severn Blu-ray and you get yes, all the extras. Yeah. Get the Blu-ray yeah, for all the extras. Watch it first while you're waiting for the Blu-ray to yes. come. There you go. <laughs> the Blu-ray was like, really incredible because they yeah. really rolled out the red carpet. Like I was shocked by the way they did that Blu-ray. Like they... They, it's two discs. The second disc is the soundtrack, you know, uh, on a the CD. Yeah. Then there's, a, yeah, and then there's a book that they included with Michael Verratti's um, journals. Michael Verratti was a kid who came on tour with us on his own dime to document the tour. That's how oh, I wow. met Michael. He was a fan who came on the tour with us and he was fabulous. So they put all of his journal entries into a book and then they made two new documentaries, a new commentary track. Uh, it has Grindhouse included on it. You know, it's just an amazing Blu-ray. 
Um, so I do like promoting, you know, I don't like promoting a lot of stuff, but you know, when oh, you yeah. have to promote something, but you love what you're promoting, it makes it a lot easier. Absolutely. And I don't know. I feel like there has been such a loss of like special features with movies yeah. now in like the age of streaming. I'm like, I miss features. I miss director commentary. So that is definitely a good thing to check out to get yeah. all, the, all the goods. And especially now our, it's our genre that's keeping it alive. It's our, yeah. you know, it's our fandom. So what's nice is it doesn't really exist anymore for the popular stuff, but for the weird stuff, these Blu-rays, these special things, if you, if you follow Vinegar Syndrome or Severin, you know, they, they are doing an awesome job of putting this stuff out. Uh, Shout Factory, you know, so it's really our genre that keeps this stuff going. Yeah. And if uh, any of our listeners do not have the materials at home to get a Blu-ray and watch it, I do believe Peaches, <laughs> is Grindhouse still on your Patreon page as well? Oh, gosh. Is it? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was on our Patreon page, huh? Then it, it must was. be. I wouldn't have taken it off. Yeah, so, okay. So yeah, go so support we, Peaches on yeah. Patreon, support Midnight yeah. Mass, her podcast. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like to see the original film uh that that all about evil became or came from grindhouse you can find that uh, over on patreon you might have to scroll but perfect yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome uh so we've had such a great conversation today but uh we know that you have a holiday show upcoming yes you want to tell us tell the people about that sure um i in a strange turn of events some years back uh was invited to do a show at the San Francisco Symphony. And that caught the attention of a conductor in Chicago, uh, Edwin Outwater, who reached out to me. And uh, he's since moved to San Francisco. But um, he and I partnered and created um, a holiday show called Holiday Gaiety that we've done at San in San Francisco now for many years. Um, and that show uh, became popular enough that we created two more shows. One's called Symphony of Terror. And another one is called Symphonic Pride. And um, yeah, we uh, are getting ready for our holiday season. Um, and it's surreal to me. And the reason I give you all the backstory is because I'm doing the show for the second year at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Amazing. And I have so to, cool. I so feel like cool. I have to explain it. People, especially <laughs> How my, did we get yeah, here? <laughs> but especially my British friends. I think, I mean, they really do think I'm fucking with them because it is, <laughs> it is insane that there's a Peaches Christ show, you know, happening at Royal Albert Hall. But I do have Edwin to thank for it. I mean, Edwin, comes from you know a very elite world of 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 being a conductor of the the greatest symphonies in the world and um you know he went to harvard and but edwin's that that really cool uh interesting artist who wants to do interesting things and you know he's a queer person who saw what i was doing it's kind of like the mark cuban thing in a way who who said hey i see what you're doing and i'm interested in it and so yeah. edwin reached out to me and said i think we should partner up and and we did. And now we're represented by uh, a management group in London who book very prestigious venues. So here we are. So I have the uh, Royal Albert Hall show. Um, they call it a Christmas gaiety because in England, you don't say holiday, you say Christmas, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the birthplace of Christmas, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and we do that in London uh, on the 12th. And then we go and do it in um, Gateshead, England, which is near Newcastle on the 13th. 
we fly back to San Francisco on the 14th and we do it in San Francisco on the 15th. And, oh my goodness. Um, and the next year, because these things take like symphonies book out years in advance. Yeah. So <laughs> next... I used to work for a symphony for okay, six so years. The, yeah, so then you know which <laughs> one did you work for. <laughs> the Kansas City Symphony. Ah, I'll have to find out if they're going to book us. Um, but um, they... Call me. I'll get you in there. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will. So, yeah, well, the management group is called PolyArts. That's who, who books us. So, um, yeah. Uh, if anyone listening is works with symphonies and they're interested, uh, reach out to PolyArts. Um, but next year, I I know that we're already booked in a number of cities. Like it's almost oh, like I nice. I don't think we could book be booked anymore. And those bookings all happened a few years ago. So it's an interesting thing to watch where they start scheduling you. Like right now, I'm being scheduled for 2025. You know, because wow. symphonies yeah. plan out so far in advance. Yeah, that's amazing. If you could uh, go back and and tell young Peaches that she was going to be playing Royal, Royal Albert Hall, <laughs> I, I I probably I don't know. I mean, because as a as a young person, what I uh, obsessed over was Susie and the Banshees at Royal Albert Hall. You know, oh, yeah. and I was also an Anglophile. You know, not even uh, intentionally. I didn't even know I was, but because of their embrace of uh gender expression you know um people like boy george were allowed to be boy george you know david bowie um you know vivian westwood the punk rock movement um you know my favorite bands were Susie and the banshees new order depeche mode you know i was so obsessed with all that stuff that royal albert hall to me it was the creme de la creme of of mm -hmm. where you got like i remember everyone making a big deal out of Susie being there and to me Susie is a goddess so right. if you told me that peaches christ was going to be headlining royal albert hall i would have i'm not i don't even know that I, my brain could have processed that <laughs> first of all i probably would have been like who's peaches christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well good for her who's that yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh well besides that amazing uh opportunity to tour yeah. with these symphonies and things what else is next for peaches well uh i'm Right now, I'm I'm actually planning. Uh, you're, you're the first to know about this. Um, I do a show uh, that that uh, I was planning to do more frequently before the pandemic uh, with with John Waters superstar Mink Stoll, um, and she and I do a cabaret show together. Um, and we were we were gonna do it more often, and then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. So we've just booked a, a northeastern um, tour. Um, and we're going to be taking it to different uh, territories around. Um, but I can say now definitively that in February we'll be going to, well, we're starting in San Francisco, um, doing a couple nights here uh, of our idol worship show. And then we'll be doing um, Salem. I've never done anything in Ooh, Salem, Massachusetts. Ah, of course, I, I'm excited to be there. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island, New York City, Philadelphia and Washington DC. So that's all coming up in February. And then of course more Terror Vault and more symphony shows mm -hmm. and hopefully we're working on a new movie. So, you know, we'll it's see. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Well, bring bring that show to Kansas City. We don't get enough drag here. Bring it to Milwaukee to Penny. Yeah, <laughs> Milwaukee. Will you know, let's 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 talk because um we're do I'm doing it regionally so that you know, I mean, Mink is, you know, uh she she likes to remind me, so I don't I don't feel bad saying this. <laughs> Mink is constantly reminding me. 
peaches. I'm a 75 year old woman, you know, like, <laughs> you know, this is your, and I'm like, okay, so what I'm doing is, is a couple weeks and then we take a, a chunky break yeah. and then a couple weeks and, you know, um, so, uh, well, your, I think, your daughter was just here at the theater I used to work at. So I think you have to come do it. <laughs> which, which one? I'm, the folly. Was, was it? No. Which daughter? <laughs> oh, Jinx, Miss Jinx. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, of course. Oh yes. Okay. With her concert. With, uh, yeah, no, everything at stake. Oh yeah. That was great. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Well, yes, let's, let's, uh, let's connect outside of the show because, um, I actually love going places where um, they're less likely to have seen Mink because she's performed so much mm -hmm. in the big cities. And so I feel like there's this John Waters fandom is so massive and so unique. And, you know, um, you know, they're, they're the first to tell you they're getting older. So let's let I, that's why that's kind of why I'm pushing her to do more touring now. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, we, it's getting better here, but the Midwest is a, dra a drag desert. We get skipped a lot by a lot of those tours and but, things. But <laughs> our weirdos are there, you know, our fans, sure you know what are. I mean? And, and so, you know, and I only, you know, Mink and I are doing, this is an intimate show. Like we book, you know, 200 seat venues or, you know, around nice, there. So it's yeah. like, you know, we make it, you know, we're, we, Anyway, well, let's talk. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll, we'll plan something. Yes. No, you have I to love that podcast right just evolves into right a now, business meeting. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so, so much, Peaches, yeah, for, for making me. the time to come talk to us. This has been awesome. And uh, if you are a listener who is new to the Peaches Christ cult, uh, will you let the listeners know where they can follow you online? Well, I, I have on my, this is the easiest thing. Uh, and I don't know why I don't promote it more often. My link tree, link tree, oh, yes. my Peaches Christ link tree, if you Google that, because it has the links to all this crap, you know, including all my social media. So, and if you can't find my link tree, it's the link on my Instagram page at the Peaches Christ, but it, it'll have the links to my merch and the different shows and Terror Vault and, you know, all that stuff. Amazing. Well, yes, everything you could need. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Penny, that was amazing to get the opportunity so to chat with an absolute drag legend, a horror legend. Uh, very, very exciting. I think for me, I don't know about you, but it was very fun to get to hear Peach's perspective on. Uh, horror movies that i love like carrie and mm -hmm. nightmare on yes. elm street that was probably a, a highlight for myself if i <laughs> if i had to pick <laughs> yes oh my gosh i feel like we talked about absolutely everything what a i mean you've got wide-ranging topics when you're kind of a, a renaissance woman who's got her fingers in so many different things uh so thanks again peaches for joining us today well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we talked, Penny and I talked a bit about this at the beginning of the episode, that I guess this is uh, technically our, our Thanksgiving episode. Hey. So we're happy, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're very thankful for this opportunity to chat with Peaches, and we're thankful for all of you listening. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you want to show how thankful you are for this podcast, the best way you can do that for us is by leaving a rating or a review wherever you listen. Uh, if you are not able to leave a review where you 
catch us on your podcatcher of choice, you can always submit a review via Instagram DM or Spotify now allows comments. And I believe our review comes from a a Spotify comment today. (laughs) It sure does. Uh, This comments from Ronnie B who says, I love every single thing about these lovely spooky ghouls. I look forward to listening every Tuesday. I learned such fun and interesting things. Keep up the spooktacular work. Um, with hand hearts and also a rainbow, which seemed appropriate for a very queer episode of Ghouls yes. Night Yes. If this is the Ronnie, I believe it is. Ronnie is from my neck of the woods as a hey, St. Louis school. And he and his partner, uh, his partner is also an amazing drag artist uh, <gasps> and a musician as well. So <laughs> I didn't even know how perfect it I was. I know, it ended up being perfect. If you would like more content from us or to submit your own Instagram review, you can find us over there at Ghouls Night in Pod. And if you're looking for me, you can find me across the web at Midge Munster. And you can find me at Penny Snark. And until next time, good bye. bye.